let's kind of jump into this new sermon series. I don't know about you guys, but anytime you enter a new year, my mind just starts thinking about, okay, what needs to change? It's such a great time to, to refocus, to uh, recenter yourself, to really think about uh, how you want your life to look as you enter into a new year. Uh, one thing I've learned is that nothing happens by accident. If you change nothing, if you just keep on doing what you're doing, nothing, the results are going to be the same. You, you're not going to change the way you live if you don't really focus on how you're living. And, and, and so we want to talk about that today because it's going to take some effort. It's going to take uh, intentional effort. It's going to take discipline. Uh, last week I, I, I was sharing um, in, in the message and I said, I want you to pick a word for the year and, and what you want God to do in your life. And, and for me, that word was intentional. Uh, I want to be intentional this year about allowing God to work in me and through me. And I don't want to take things for granted. And I really want to be intentional. And so that was the word that I chose. And it takes some planning. It takes, uh, it takes discipline. Um, one thing that I learned this year in reflecting back on 2020, let's just be honest, it was a crazy year. It's a rough year. It's a year that most of us would like to, to put behind us and move on. Uh, for many people, it was a year characterized by sickness or loss or frustration or isolation, uh, financial stress, all the above, right? All those things have kind of added on to the stress of the year. But I was talking to another local pastor a few weeks ago, and we were just talking about what we've learned and what our churches have experienced. And I, I made the statement to him, and, um, it, you know, at the time, it I was like, you know, really, I've learned a lot this year. But one of the things that I've learned is that we've seen in all of our churches a failure of discipleship. And let me just kind of back up and explain what I, what I mean by that. When uh, this is on top of all the COVID craziness this year, you also throw in all the election craziness this year, right? Uh, all the controversy, all the the conflict, all the the the, the uh, drama online with that. Um, and so you've got those things going on. And what I've seen this year is, and then you throw in all the COVID stuff and mask or no mask or vaccine or no vaccine now and all this, you know, all the argument. What I've seen is that people are getting shaped more by what they watch online or consume online than by God's word. And I really, it's not, I'm not just saying corner, it's really all churches. I think we're seeing this across our whole country. What we're seeing is a failure of discipleship. We're seeing people influenced more, right, by what they read, what they watch, instead of what they learn from God. And, and that scares me a little bit. In fact, there was a Gospel Coalition article uh, a few months ago, uh, and it kind, of, it kind of dove in on this, and I, I kind of want to share it with you. And it said this, it said, Among the many ways 2020 has been punishing for pastors, one of the most disheartening is the way that COVID-19 has further accelerated the already troubling tendency of Christians being shaped more by online life and its partisan ideological ecosystem than by church life and its formational practices. The church is increasingly just one voice among many speaking into a Christian's life. A church's worship service habits may occupy two hours of a Christian's week, but podcasts, radio shows, cable news, social media, streaming entertainment, and other forms of media account for upwards of 90 hours of their week. 
So how can a few hours of Christian formation, and during COVID, it's even less than that, compete with a tidal wave of media rushing over people? And that really is, I think, something that all pastors, all churches need to wrestle with. How do we compete right now with all of this information coming from the world? And we're seeing people respond in ways that don't reflect Christ-likeness. The way we should respond should be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, right? I mean, if we are believers, that should characterize how we live. But yet, when we look at online, we look at the election, we look at COVID, we look at all this, I'm not seeing the fruit of the Spirit. What I'm seeing is is deep division. And so, it just really has me thinking, right, as we go into this new year, I don't want to be the same as last year. I want to see a difference in myself. I want to see a difference in in the people in this church. I want to see a difference in our community, in our state, in our nation. I believe we can live differently. So here's my question I want to ask you as we start out this morning. Do you ever feel like that you are missing the life that God has called you to live? Have you ever thought about that? Do you ever feel like, man, is there something more? Is God, I mean, are you still out there wondering what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? I mean, are you still thinking, man, I just want, I want to know, I want God to speak to me. I want God to tell me what to do. I want God just to help me to know what, what to do next. I think a lot of people are in that, in that situation and especially with all the craziness around us. Here's what I want you to know. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. When Paul was speaking to the church at Ephesus, he he tells them about salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not something you earn by yourself. It's the gift of God. And then he goes right into verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2. And in, in verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. We're God's work of art, His poema, His poetry, right? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. And so for for me, uh, this verse is such a wake-up call because it's showing that God cares so much about you, right? God cares so much about you that He has a plan for your life. And it's a plan that He created before you were even born. Before you were even born, God had a plan for, the, for your life and for what you would accomplish and for your purpose. And so for us, right, I want to be close enough to God where I can hear Him and understand and respond to that plan. I was at a youth conference many, many years ago uh, with, with a bunch of teenagers and, the, and, and the, the speaker was up there and he was like, you know, just he, he was getting into it. And, and he's like, man, don't you want God just to write in big letters in the sky what, you, to, to, what to do in your life? And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we all want. We want to know. We want to know for sure when God says something that we hear it, we know it. Okay, God, I, I hear you. I get it. I, okay, I mean, he's like, that's how we live. We want him just to, to shout it out. And then he, he said, but the problem is we don't get close enough to God that when he whispers we can hear him. And I think that's for, for many of us, that's, that's an issue, right? We're so far away from God. We're so distracted. We're so busy. We have so many voices. We have so much noise coming into our life that when God whispers, when God tries to get our attention and says, but this is what I want you to do, 
We don't even hear it. That's why we start a year with prayer, with fasting. It's to eliminate distractions. It's to get to the point where God can speak into our life in a way that we can hear and we can respond. And I want you to know that God has a calling on your life. He he has a calling. Ministry is not just for professional uh, people in the church. No, it's for every one of us. God has a ministry. He has a mission for your life. And so we need to be able to, 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 to hear, to listen to God, and then to respond to Him, to, to obey. I think part of our problem also is that we live, live a very, what I would call a segmented life. A segmented life. For many people, you have your church life. That's what you do maybe on Sunday morning. You come to church, right? You, you, you come to church and you, you do the church thing, you worship, you hear the message and you go and you say, okay, checkbox, that's, that's church. Then now we've got some family time. It's a Sunday, we'll go do something outside or do something, go out to eat. Okay, family time, check. And so we got church, we got family. Then Monday comes, we've got to get back to work. So now Monday through Friday, that's work. And, and so that's our work life. And, and the problem is there's no interconnection between those things. Um, so you've got church is separate from family, is separate from work. I feel like that's how most Americans live. Um, and, and, and maybe unintentionally, but that's really what they do. And, and they kind of just do move from one thing to the next. And, and God is calling us to live not a, uh, not a separate life, not a segmented life. He's calling us to live an integrated life, a whole life. I shared in our Christmas series that uh, when Isaiah said that he would be called Prince of Peace. That, that word peace literally means like a wholeness. That he is coming to make us whole again. And, and I feel like that, that's what we, we've got to get back to. We've got to realize that our life is not segmented. It's integrated. It's whole. And Jesus is at the center of all of it. And so when we're with our family, Jesus is with us. When we're at work, Jesus is with us. And so how do we honor Him through all of those activities, through every day of the week, not just Sunday morning? That's really the challenge we face. Um, and, and so this year, if you have been living a segmented life, I'm challenging you to think about what would it look like to be transformed where Jesus is at the center. Jesus is at the center of everything. It gives me hope, right? Right? That when I look at my life, I'm not the same as I was when Jennifer and I got married 25 years ago. Uh, I'm not the same person. Uh, I've changed since then. I'm not the same person as I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same person that I was last year. I hope that you can see in me a transformation that takes place as each year goes on. That my life is changing, my attitude is changing, my demeanor is changing, the way I respond is changing. Why? As I grow closer to Christ, I want my life to be different. And here's the reality, I'm, I'm not there yet. All right, There's still room for improvement for each and every one of us. There's a lot of growing that I still have left to do. And, I'm, and I hope, my prayer, is that I'm going to be growing until the day I die. That I'm going to be... That I'm not going to become that, my kids tell me I'm already getting this way, but I'm not going to be that grumpy old man, right? That, that just complains about everything. 
I'm going to be someone that's more full of love as I get older. That's more patient as I get older. That knows how to forgive better as I get older. That's what I want my life to look like. And I'm so thankful right, that we can be transformed. And one of the ways that happens is through spiritual disciplines. That, that's a scary word to me, like discipline. I, discipline sounds like punishment. But that's not really what spiritual disciplines are. Let me give you a definition to help us out to understand spiritual disciplines this morning. Spiritual disciplines are ways of living that imitate the ways that Jesus lived. That's what a spiritual discipline is. Uh, so, so let me explain that a little bit. It's any activity that I do that helps me to live like Jesus. <laughs> that helps me to gain the power to live life as Jesus taught it, as Jesus modeled it. it it's allowing uh, Jesus to be formed in me from the inside out. That's the transformation that we're talking about. When Paul talked to the church in Galatia, he, he talked about this and he used a word that uh, that formation that being formed. It was a word that the root of it is the metamorphosis that takes place. And uh, in Galatians 419, he says, uh, there's my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed. What is he talking about? There's a transformation where we're formed, where we're shaped, where we're modeled, right, to be more like Jesus. And for every believer, that's the sanctification that's taking place in our life, that we're being transformed day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour to be more like Jesus. And that's the transformation that takes place. And when he wrote to, to the church in Rome... He said something similar. He said that God had predestined them to be conformed to the image of His Son. To be conformed, to be shaped, to be molded to be the image of His Son. Uh, in Romans 12, he used that same root word again when he said we shouldn't be conformed to the world around us. We shouldn't let the world shape us, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. All of those just keep showing us we're going to be shaped by something in life. We're going to either going to be shaped by the world or we're going to be shaped by God. And, and so the choice is what are we going to allow to shape us? Just like I said, this year I look back on 2020. I think most people, uh, if we're not careful, we've been shaped more by the fear and the media uh, and, and, and just all the craziness of the world around us instead of by God and His Word. So that, that's a challenge, Right? This metamorphosis that God wants to do in our life, man, it means we're going to look different. We're going to act different. We're going to speak different than, than the world around us. A study that Gallup did, though, shows the challenge of this, right? It's a Gallup study showed that 9 out of 10 uh, people in this country claim to pray to God daily. 9 out of 10. And a third claim to have a personal relationship with God. Uh, that's... I see statistics like that and I go, I don't see the fruit of that. I don't see the fruit of that. If nine out of ten people are praying, don't you think they would have more peace in life? If three out of ten, a third uh, of people uh, are saying, hey, um, I have a personal relationship with God, don't you think their lives would look different from the world around them? We don't see that. And so what that tells me, right, is that we've got that 
failure of discipleship. We've got a lot of people who think they're saved. We've got a lot of people who think they're following God, but their lives don't reflect Jesus. And so what would it look like if the people of Cornerstone, online, in person, started living like Jesus? Do you think this church would look different? Do you think this community would look different? Do you think the state would be different as a result? Do you think the world would take notice? I think it would. That's really the start of every revival, right? People uh, acknowledging their sin, a, a spirit of prayer. Uh, you see a spirit of power rest upon them. You see the world take notice and you see it spread. That's what happens in revival. That's what happens when God moves in, in, in a great way. The problem, though, in, in America especially, what we think is, let me just do the minimum to get into heaven. John Ortberg said this, he said, The good news, as Jesus preached it, is not about the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die. It's about the glorious redemption of human life, your life. I think a lot of people view church as like, okay, what's the least I can do to get by? Just like if you're in school and you're saying, say, okay, this is, this is the score on my test I've got to get to, to pass this course. And so you're just trying to get that grade, right? You're, you're doing the bare minimum to get by. And if you get that, you're like, okay, I'm good, I passed. I feel like that's how a lot of people live their spiritual life. What do I got to do to get into heaven? Okay, I got to go to church. I got to say this prayer. I got to join the church. Okay, okay, I'm in. Now I can get back to living life the old way. The trouble is, that's not the gospel. What did Jesus say? You have to take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Die to yourself and follow me. What did, what did Jesus say, right? He said, you have to confess that Jesus is Lord. That means he's the master, the ruler of your life. You have to believe that God raised him from the dead. That's how you're saved. But then that initiates a lifelong process of following Jesus. So I think we get it wrong sometimes. We, we think, we, we don't realize the transformation. We don't realize the effort that takes place to help us to live like Jesus. A lot of authors you read will talk about spiritual disciplines and compare them to athletics, uh, to, to training. And if you've ever done any kind of a sport, you know you just don't step on the court or the field or the track the first day and, are, and, and, and you're able to compete at a high level. No, it, it takes a lot of work. Uh, if you want to run a marathon, you don't show up on the starting line and say, I think I'm going to run today. Right, You wouldn't make it 26.2 miles uh, if you don't train and you don't prepare and you've not run. And, and that process doesn't happen overnight. It takes months and even years of training to get to the point where you can be successful. Um, Malcolm Gladwell says that, uh, you may have heard this statistic, he, he says if you want to be an expert in anything, it takes 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours. Th think about that. The 10,000 hour principle. Uh, if you want to be an expert uh, in the Bible, it takes 10,000 hours of studying your Bible. How many Christians get to that point? But how many of us are experts at watching TV, at playing video games, at um, Facebook? <laughs> how many is, of, of, of us are experts at things that don't really matter in the scope of eternity, but when it comes to living for God, we're not, that, we're not, we're not on that expert level? Because why? We've not put the training. We've not put the effort into it. 
In any sport, right, it takes training. Uh, it, it, takes, uh, it takes discipline to get there. And that's what the spiritual disciplines do. Dallas Willard said this. He said, we can become more like Christ by doing one thing, by following Him and the overall style of life that He chose for Himself. We look at Jesus. So that's what disciplines do. We look at Jesus. Jesus prayed, so we pray. Jesus fasted, so we fast. Jesus sought solitude to get away from the crowd, so we do the same thing. Jesus worshiped, so we worship. Jesus served the least of these, so we serve the least of these. We look at Jesus' life and we put those practices in place in our life to help us learn to live like Him. And it's not just checking a box. It's not just doing it out of obligation. It's a transformation that takes place that transforms our heart. It's a sanctification process where we deal with the sin in our life and we learn what it means to follow Him. And so I'll just say, if your life is not characterized by greater and greater amounts of love, love for God, love for others, then you've got some growing that you need to do. And what better time to do that, right, as we start a new year? Here's, this, here's the next point this morning I want, I want to share. Is spiritual disciplines help you take a step closer to Jesus each day. It's not a way of earning God's favor to make God like you more. Nothing you can do can make God love you more. Nothing you have done will make Him love you less. But as we live our life, right, what we do, we draw close to Him so we can hear His voice. And spiritual disciplines connect us to God. They help connect us so we can hear more clearly. If you've, ever, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever struggled with, I just want to be able to hear God and, and understand what He wants me to do in life. That's where spiritual disciplines will help draw you closer where it's more clear to hear what He has to say into your life. And so when we pray, when we fast, when we get in His Word, right? When we escape from the craziness of life, when we serve, when we worship, all of those are disciplines, right, that help us learn what it means to, to follow Jesus. John Ortberg said this. He said, Jesus consistently focused on people's sinner. Are they oriented and moving toward the center of spiritual life, which is love of God and people? Or are they moving away from it? And he said this. Tragically, it's possible to think we're becoming more spiritual when in fact we're only becoming more smug and judgmental. You see, the longer we are Christians, the easier it is to fall into this trap where instead of becoming more loving, we, be, we become more judgmental. Instead of serving God more, we become more smug, we become more conceited, we become more arrogant, and we look down on people who are not like us. The reality is that most Christians, uh, the longer you are, are a Christian, the less non-Christian friends you have. And so we forget what it's like to struggle. We forget what it's like to be lost. And, and so instead of reaching out in compassion, we look down in judgment. And so I, I just want to challenge us, right? Are we repealing people by the way we live? Or are we drawing them closer to God? Dallas Willard said this. He said, how many people are radically and permanently repealed from the way of, by Christians who are feeling un?" who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied. 
He said, such Christians are everywhere. And what they are missing is the wholesome loveliness springing from a balanced life. He said that spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. So when a, when, when a lost world looks at our life and all they see is a bunch of grumpy people who are complaining about everything, and I just des- des- describe the majority of churches, okay, when I, when I share that. Uh, and I, I'm just telling you, so many churches are characterized by people who only want to complain. Thankfully, Cornerstone is not like that. Now, there's times that people may get upset and may complain, but as a, as a general rule, Cornerstone is a loving church, and I'm thankful to be a pastor of a church where I don't have to come to church every week wondering about what everybody's going to complain about. But I'm telling you, as I talk to pastors, this is a big issue. And people, when they see that, do you think they see Jesus in it? Do they, do they see that and say, I want to be part of that? I want to join this church so I can complain and be miserable with everybody else. I feel like that's, that's how most people are living. Let me give you five questions that John Ortberg shared to, to kind of assess our own spiritual life. And are we growing closer to Jesus? Are we becoming more like Him? How's our walk with Him? Here's the first question. Am I spiritually inauthentic? In, in other words, are we trying to be something that we're really not? Are we putting on a show? Are we wearing a mask? Are we trying to to, to make people focus on the external instead of really transforming the internal? Am I spiritually inauthentic? So that's one thing. Here's the second. Am I becoming judgmental or exclusive or proud? Again, just like what I talked about. It's so easy. I think this is a a problem for for the longer you've been been a Christian, I think the more trouble this is. We look down on people because... We think we're better than them. So that's, that's the second question. The third, am I becoming more approachable or less? Am I becoming more approachable or less? I think this is a, uh, for, for me, this is kind of one that uh, makes steps on my toes a little bit. All right? <laughs> is for, are, do people just naturally want to come up and talk and share? Or do people just look at you and say, ooh, I don't want anything to do with that person? All right? I think that's that's a danger we fall into, especially if you're like me, if you're like an if you're an introvert, just sometimes you like your alone time. Uh, you you have to remind your face sometimes that you you you're you're actually happy and joyful inside, <laughs> right? That people can come and talk to you and share, and that they're not a distraction. That you really care about them. That's the problem when you're not approachable, right? Uh, when we're not approachable, what we're telling people is. Uh, we're, not, we're, we're unconcerned. Look at, look at how Jesus lived. People approach Jesus all the time. Why? Because He cared. Because He treated them with respect. Because He listened to them. Because He cared about them. And, and so are we becoming more like that or less? The fourth question. Am I growing weary of pursuing spiritual growth? Am I growing weary of pursuing spiritual growth? Are you getting to the point where just something else i got to do? I'm not, I don't want to do this Bible reading plan because I've done it before. Uh, I don't want to serve at church because it's someone else's turn. That's when it's a, that shows a signs, right, that, that we're struggling in our spiritual walk. Uh, the fifth way, am I measuring my spiritual life in superficial ways? Am, am I measuring my spiritual life in superficial ways? So, so in this, again, it's focusing on the external versus the internal. 
So are you saying, well, I'm a Christian because, look, I go to church every week. I give a lot of money. I serve when I'm needed. I'm doing all this, so I must be doing pretty good. I'm better than anybody else. Those aren't the real measures of Christian growth in your life. And so these five questions are kind of the diagnostic questions that, that show us how we're really doing. There's a story in the Bible that I think that kind of makes us really think about our priorities. And it's in Luke chapter 10. A story you've probably heard, you probably know, you've probably heard it preached on before, but the story of Mary and Martha. And I just want to ask you, as I read this to you, who do you identify with, Mary or Martha? In verse 38 it says this, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Sounds like a Facebook post, right? But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. But there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. So when you read this, who do you identify with? Mary, who is sitting at the feet of Jesus, leaving the dishes undone, leaving all the work, just to say, I want to just be with Jesus. Or Martha, who is consumed by details, who is worried about everything that needs to get done, that has to be done, that should be done. She's worried about what people are going to think about her home, She's worried about everyone else and she's not focusing on her own needs, her own heart. You see, for many of us, I think we just get in this trap. This American dream. We think we've got to do more and accomplish more and, and, and gain more money, gain more wealth. And, and so we just get distracted by all this stuff that's not important in the scope of eternity. We do it, we do it, and we do it. And, and we just get to that point where it's like, where's Jesus? We don't have time for Jesus. Mary discovered what is best. Slow down. Draw close to Jesus. And listen to them. I, I think there's wisdom there. I think we've got to, to do. Uh, you know we've got to spend time. And that's what dis, spiritual disciplines do. They force us to spend time. With the God who created us. The God who loves us. The God who cares about us. The God who has a plan for our life. I, I preached a message years ago. Before Cornerstone even. And um. It was just, it was, uh, it was, uh, I heard a, um, a, a pastor, Adrian Rogers, he, he shared a message, and I just, this one phrase stuck out to me. And he said, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I feel like that's one of Satan's most strategic plans against us today. Let me make them busy. Let me give them something else to do. Let me keep them so busy they don't have time for church. They don't have time for serving. They don't have time for prayer. They don't have time for God's Word. They don't have time for anything. I just keep them busy. And the more we're busy, the more we're distracted. The more we can't hear Jesus. The more we're not sitting at His feet. 
I read this quote and it said this. It said, if someone had asked the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John about his spiritual life, his first question would have been, am I growing in love for God and his, and his people? The real issue is what kind of people are we becoming? When we read scripture and pray, it's important, not because they prove how spiritual we are, but because God can use them to lead us into life. God can use that. So here's what I want to close with today. I want to challenge you a little bit. As we go into the New Year's, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. Um, Here's the thing. We need a plan more than we need a New Year's resolution. We need a plan more than we need a resolution. The average studies show that most people have given up on their New Year's resolution by January 12th. January 12th, two weeks, a week and a half, right? People get into it and they're like, I'm going to lose all this weight this year. By the 12th, you're like, forget that. (laughs) I'm going to exercise. I'm going to run. And that's why gym memberships go out the roof the first week of January. And then by the second week of January, gyms are empty. Right? Why? It's because a resolution is just stating this is what I'm going to do. A plan gets you there. (laughs) You need a goal. You need a plan to work it out on how you're going to get there. And so uh, the, the amazing thing is, is when we do this together in community, the accountability, the encouragement we receive, receive helps us to do this. Um, we had a men's group back a couple months ago here at church, and we didn't have a lot of us do it. We had several, and it was kind of a, it was kind of a tough group because it was called SoulCon, and we did this challenge, and it was uh, kind of combined spiritual disciplines and physical disciplines together. So we did, uh, you started off each day with the Lord's Prayer with 40 push-ups. We had to run two 5Ks a week. Uh, there were all these sit-ups and squats and everything you had to do and uh, all these different challenges. And there was even a, a, a fast. We did a 30-hour fast in the middle of it uh, where we skipped like three meals in a row and we did it together. But the, here's the, the crazy thing. If I would have tried to do all that on my own, I would have probably been like that January 12th. I would have given up pretty quick. But because we were connected, because we were constantly messaging each other, encouraging each other, uh, how are things going? Here's what I've learned. Here's what I, I mean, that accountability and that encouragement, it made those things so much easier. And the reality is through it, we grow, grew closer together as a group. We grew ourselves closer to our Lord and Savior through it. And I'm just telling you, when we do things, we're starting off this year as a church with 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're focusing really on three things. It should be uh, Scripture, prayer, and fasting, okay? The, the, the three things we're going to do. We're going to get in God's Word together, the first thing. Uh, I want you to get in God's Word as much as you can. Pick a Bible reading plan. Uh, if you go on our website... Uh, go down to the bottom, There's a, the, the latest post is kind of a, let's start off the new year with a plan. If you click on that, there's a 21-day guide to prayer and fasting. Uh, click on that, there's a Bible reading plan in that, a 50-day Bible reading plan. Uh, and, and you can do that, you can choose one on version if you're already going. Uh, if you're using the version Bible app, there's lots of great plans on there. I'm doing one that's by the Bible Project, that has all the Bible Project videos included with it. Um, just get in God's Word daily, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is prayer. I want to challenge you to pray at least three times a day. In Deuteronomy 6, when we're talking about uh, how to train and teach our children, it says you teach them when you get up and when you lie down. 
So those are two times. When you get up, get, get with God in prayer. When you lie down, pray. And then sometime else during the day, I want you to have an uninterrupted, right, focused time of prayer with God. So three times a day of uninterrupted focused time of prayer where you just spend time praying with Him. And your prayer focus this week is our church. Just let's seek God together to give us wisdom for what we are to do as a church. So that's the second thing. And then the, th- the third thing is fasting. And fasting, uh, we're not going to tell you what to do. Um, but we're going to tell you, I'm going to challenge you to learn more about fasting and to pick some way to fast. You can fast and what fasting is, right, fasting teaches us to deny ourselves something, right, so we can, uh, we, can, we can grow closer to God. We can replace something that's controlling us with something that's better. Um, and so, uh, you know, when we fast, what we're doing is we're, it, it's, de- it's revealing what we're depending upon instead of God. And so you can fast from media, you can fast from uh, social media, you can fast from food, you can fast from coffee, you can fast one meal a day, you can fast for a 24-hour period or a 30-hour period, you can fast uh, this whole time, you can just pick something and remove it. Uh, and and the, the key, though, is when you remove something, you replace it, and you replace it with intentional time with God. That's what fasting does. And so, again, in that guide that you can download on our website, there's, uh, there's, it explains the different kinds of fast and what you can do. I want to close with this quote, and it just says this, Following Jesus simply means learning from Him how to arrange my life around activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. Is your life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Is that what your life looks like? For, for myself, I've... I've got quite a few goals that I've kind of written out and I'm planning towards and I'm working on this year. Some of them are personal, some are around uh, reading in God's Word and reading books and even writing and, and what I want God to do in me and through me this year. Uh, some are more family oriented. But what is it? I challenge you this week to come up with a plan, not just a resolution. Come up with a plan. Where do you want to go this year? How do you want to grow closer to God? And then let's start working together to get there. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. Uh, We're going to close with a time of worship today. uh, But let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, uh, I'm just thankful that we can get again in your word as we start off 2021. Would you help us, Lord, just to not be consumed with ourselves, but to be focused on you this year? Would you help us learn what it means to reorganize, reprioritize our lives so that Jesus is at the center. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that as we set goals for this year that we, we bring You into the process. That we seek Your will. We seek Your ways. We seek Your divine guidance. We trust in You with all of our heart. We lean not on our own understanding. We acknowledge You in all of our ways and we know that You will make our path straight this year. Lord, I'm just thankful for your love. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for this church. Will we encourage each other? Will we be known as a church that is characterized by truth and by love? By the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in how we live and how we respond and how we conduct ourselves. Will you help us to, to think, to feel, to act like Jesus in everything we do? Lord, we want to be more like you. So transform us change us and it all starts with that first 
most important decision that we'll ever make to surrender our lives to you. So if you're watching today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity. Would you just acknowledge him? Would you confess your sin? Confess that Jesus is Lord? Would you believe that in the resurrection that God raised him from the dead so that you might have everlasting life? If that's your prayer today, I want you to know that God hears it, God listens, God responds, and God initiates a a transformation that takes place. He gives you a new heart that will enable you to start living for Him day by day, moment by moment. Heavenly Father, we just thank You this morning. We're thankful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.